The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, so let's take our Bibles, and we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, this is a message I've been thinking about for quite some time. And I, I, I'm kind of, I, I kind of do the same thing Pastor uh, does every day. He goes for a walk, but his walk is up a, up a mountain. Uh, mine is downhill. And uh, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out a way to get back to my office without having to go back up that hill. But uh, I'll figure it out sooner or later. But uh, I walk often and I, I pray and, and sometimes thoughts come into my mind and those thoughts begin to uh, grow some, some meat on the bones. And, and, in, in, and in a period of time, I, I put together a message, a thought for a message. And that's where this stems from. I, I was milling about this, these scriptures in my mind and began to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, revealed to me what, what, what's going on here. And so I, I put together a message entitled, Three Abiding Gifts. And I'd like to speak on that tonight. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led... Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now let's, let's turn to chapter 13, please. And let's go to verse number 8. And we pick it up here in, in verse 8. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together tonight, and I pray that uh, it would not be wasted, Lord. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that we would be edified and built up as we consider your, the truth in your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, we know that we can depend on you and we can trust you for all things. For you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And we have confidence, Lord, to know that you are coming back for us. And we look forward to that great day. Thank you, Lord, for the time we have together now. We ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul discusses the spiritual gifts. Now, from the tone of his writings, uh, I, can, I, I think there seems to be some confusion in the church at Corinth concerning uh, these spiritual gifts. It would appear that there were those who lacked the most prominent gifts, and therefore they were discouraged. Uh, maybe, maybe one could not do what another person could do, and, and uh, they may have thought that it was because they had failed in some way or that they had sinned, and, and so God uh, denied them this, this, this gift, this spiritual gift. But then there were also others who were filled with pride because of the gifts they did have. And they, 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 they felt haughty and they felt better than everyone around them. They felt more important and more prominent in the church because of these spiritual gifts that they had been given. And they looked down upon others within the church. Now, let me just say, I have witnessed this myself in Baptist churches across this country over the past 30 years or so. The idea that one is more spiritual than another because they can do something. Because they, they can, can, can walk a certain way or they can, they can dress a certain way or, or, or they have certain talents and abilities others don't have. And, and I, I've witnessed it. I've seen people who, who, are, who are proud and arrogant over these very things. I'm in fact, sad to say, I've heard preachers around this country with that same attitude. Now this philosophy reeks of pride and arrogance and self-promotion. And it's condemned in scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 we read, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that condemn themselves or commend themselves because they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There is one by which we should measure ourselves. Does anyone know who that is? Jesus Christ. That's correct. Thank you, brother. We are to measure ourselves against Christ. Now, if you can measure yourself against Christ, and you find yourself to be superior 
then you can come up here and you can say whatever you want to say. But if not, then we need to, we need to make sure we understand who, just who do we think we are? That's, that's what I'd like to, I, you know, I'd like, I, I've met some, I've met, and I said, I've met some preachers. I'd like to ask them just who do you think you are? What gives us the right to, to boast or, or brag about anything we can accomplish on this earth for Christ? Paul didn't do so. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 said, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul didn't, Paul didn't take opportunity to brag about how hard he worked or, or how much he accomplished or how many people he he influenced for Christ. He didn't, he didn't boast about that. He acknowledged the fact that it was by the grace of God that he was able to do anything. I've been captured by that truth since the day I got saved. Before, before the Lord redeemed me, people would, would ask me about heaven and I'd say, I'm not going there. I know, I know I'm not going there because I'm not worthy to go there. I don't deserve to go there. I, I, I listen, I, I've always understood that I'm worthless. And it is but by God's grace that I'm standing right here. I, I'm so, I'm so amazed that pastor keeps asking me to preach. I figured after he heard me once, that'd be enough. And I'm so thankful to have the privilege to, to share the Word of God. But, folks, we need to keep perspective of who we are. We are sinners saved by grace. Nothing more. If I got what I deserve tonight, I'd be burning in the pits of hell for all eternity. Forsaken and, and longing for that which I'll never have. But God, by His grace, saved me. Now, I do not intend to minimize the importance of spiritual gifts. Please understand that. Paul did state in 1 Corinthians 12 that these gifts are given by God the Father uh, through his indwelling Holy Spirit. They are given in, according to his will and his good pleasure. He gives them to whom he will. If you remember in verse 12, we, we read that he, he distributes them severally to, to whosoever he will. And the gifts of God are given to the people he desires to give them to. I understand that. And they are for the work of the ministry. We need to understand that. If God has given you an ability to do something, he's, he's given it to profit the work of the ministry, not to profit yourself personally, but, to, but, but for the work of the ministry. That's why we're given the different abilities that we're given. However, these spiritual gifts are not to be mistaken as callings from God. They're not to be coveted after. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 29, Paul writes, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And in verse 31 he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, 
and yet I will show you a more excellent way. We're not to covet these, 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 these spectacular gifts. We're not to cover the, the, covet the prominent gifts that give us, that give us recognition and, and put us before people. We're not to covet those gifts. They're given to us, yes. They're granted to us, yes. And they're given to us so that we can use them to work in the ministry, yes. But we're not to covet them. We're not to, we're not to view them as, as, as the, as a calling from God, such as a calling unto salvation or, or something such as that. Now, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is actually an indictment upon the corruption and the corrupt intentions of the readers. In its context, Paul is not saying that we should covet the best gifts, such as of prophesying and teaching, of doing miracles, healing diseases, uh, speaking with and interpreting different tongues and languages. Rather, it speaks of the same misappropriation spoken of by James. James in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And what Paul is saying concerning these gifts is you don't want these gifts. You're not coveting these gifts so that you can do the work of the Lord. You're coveting them so that you can use them for your own personal gain and profit. He's trying to make people understand that these gifts that we're talking about are for God's glorification. They're to honor and glorify God and God alone. The Corinthians coveted these gifts but not so that they could better serve God, rather so that they might be lifted up in pride. These gifts are, as they simply imply, various talents or skills given to the several members of the body to accomplish the work of the church. They're, they're, they're skills, they're talents. You remember, remember in the book of Exodus when God brought the people out of Egypt and, and uh, he he gave instructions to Moses to build the temple and, and gave him instructions on how the temple would be constructed and, and how it would be built and how the furniture would be, would be built. Exactly, he gave every little bitty detail as to how it was going to be done. And then we learned that God gave some men the skills to do this work. You remember that? How many of you remember that in the book of Exodus? Yes. And that's exactly what these gifts are. They're, they're talents that God gives to his people so that we can perform the work of the church. That's what the gifts are. The spiritual gifts that, that we have. John, where's John? John, where's he hiding? John, he's out in the lobby. John has a financial gift. I don't have that gift. If I was taking care of the church books, we'd be in trouble. But John has certain gifts and abilities. He has certain skills with money. Uh, Bob back there, running the sound. Boy, if I was sitting back there, you'd, be, you'd have cotton in your ears or something. The microphones would be cutting in and out, because I don't know how to do that. But he does. Praise God, he does. And there are different people in this church that have different talents. Pastor has been given the gift of administration, and, and he's been given the ability to to lead people and to administrate a church and, and do all the work that has to be done. These are skills. Be careful about taking the gifts that God has given you and making them more than they are. 
Be careful about that. Appreciate them, but understand. In my body tonight are billions of cells. I don't think I could number them. Sometimes there's more cells, sometimes there's less cells. Depends on how much I walk in a week. If I walk enough in a week, there are fewer cells. If I don't walk enough, there are more cells. But in my body tonight are billions of cells. I have skin cells, nerve cells, tissue cells, organ cells, brain cells. They're getting fewer, but brain cells. I have red blood cells, white blood cells. I have antibodies to fight disease. I even have various forms of bacteria living within me that aid in food digestion and, and, and create antibodies to, to fight disease and sickness within my body. And each of those cells is separate. Did you hear me? They're all separate. Billions of them, and each one is individual. Yet, what do they do? They function together so that my body can function as it should. Each one works in unison with the other. There are no schisms among them. When there, when there are schisms, that's when we have disease, that's when we have sickness, cancer, and things such as that. Now, we should be at 1 Corinthians. Look at, look at uh, chapter 12 with me. And let's begin at verse number, um, number 14. We read here, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole, if the whole hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. I said earlier that these gifts are not to be confused with the calling of God. I say that because of the statement made by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8, where he says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The skills and our talents we receive from God may and will cease. They will vanish away. Thirty-five years ago, when, I, when, I, when the Lord redeemed me, I, I, I began working in the music ministry. Thirty-five years ago, I had a strong voice. 
35 years ago, I could sing from anywhere from bass to, to high soprano, uh, anywhere in between high tenor. I had a, a broad range on my voice, and not because of, of me, because when I was a boy, I, w- I tried out for the choir and was asked to do something else. So it, I had no singing ability. It was, it was given to me by God. But you know what? As I've aged, it's not so great anymore. I, I, I dread the, the times when Brother Gary puts me on a schedule. I've even told him this. You know, I'll sing whenever you need me to sing. But I just don't have the control of my voice anymore that I used to, that I used to have. Why? Because I'm getting older. And because these gifts that God gave us aren't callings and they, they're not, they're not gonna last forever necessarily because we get older, we age, we become weak. And sometimes the, the, the gifts we receive from the Lord fail us. And sometimes they cease. This is hard for some people because they put too much, they put too much emphasis on the gift. And when they begin to lose the gift, which will happen at times by a natural process, they become discouraged and often quit. And it shouldn't be so, because we need to understand that these gifts are given to us for the working of the ministry. And as we grow older, younger people will come along and will assume the roles that we have. And we need to understand that. That doesn't mean we're no longer a part of the body, does it? Doesn't mean that at all. I have arthritis in my knee and in my hip and in my elbow and in my shoulder. And they hurt now. And I don't do as much with them as I used to do. But they're still part of my body, aren't they? They're still, they're still necessary to me. So we need to understand this, that, that these gifts that God has given us need to be, need to be received and used to His glory. But we need to have them in the right perspective in our lives. They're tools given to God, given to us by God. They're not graces, okay? They're not graces, they're tools. And they will vanish away. Remember, the divine graces are referred to, we can refer to them as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there's no law. These are the graces given us by God. Here we see the true graces given to us by the Holy Spirit. And these are without repentance. They never fail. They are abiding. Now, this brings me to the subject of my message tonight, the abiding gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, Paul says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. These three gifts are unique to the elect saints of God. They are not such as is common among all men. They are peculiar to God's people. Now, gifts are are talents and skills common to unsaved men. Many of the Many of the skills and gifts that we have, the talents that we have as church members, they're, they're, they're fairly common to people outside of 
outside of the church, outside of the Lord's children. So they're not unique, they're not peculiar. But these abiding gifts that, that, that Paul spoke of, they are peculiar. In fact, they are what defines us. You hearing me? They are what defines us as God's children. And we're going to look at that here in, in just a moment. Paul draws special attention to these three very specific graces that every believer receives from God upon salvation. So let's look at them. Number one is faith. Faith. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I must begin by acknowledging that the world does claim to express faith. They do. The Catholics, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, all claim to have faith. However, the faith expressed by the world is an arbitrary faith. Arbitrary faith is one that is based on random choice or personal opinions rather than any solid reason or system. It's an empty faith, a mere statement. It lacks any substance and merely offers an empty, vain expression and an unfounded concept. <laughs> so when the, world, when the world talks about faith, it's, they're simply talking about a concept, a, 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 an unproven fact. They say, well, I have faith. Yeah, I have faith. I, I have faith, faith, faith in God. But it's an arbitrary faith. It's not, it's not a substantial faith. It is a mere consent to truth, but without belief <coughs> or substance. Unregenerate man may have this arbitrary faith and may even feign belief for a while, but this faith will never abide. It will fail. The faith which is peculiar to God's children is a fruit and effect of electing grace. And for that reason, it abides. It is a tangible faith. It's a substantial faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, we read, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know as I do tonight, our faith has substance. It has meat. It's what causes you and I as God's children to endure. It's what God has given us so that we will continue and we will go forward. In our darkest times, in our weakest moments, we don't have a faith that's just simply a statement we have a faith that is real, that can hold us up, that can drive us forward and push us on. Because our faith is founded in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And our faith abides, it, it dwells in us. And it's a part of our every life. The just, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Tonight, if you are a child of God, you have a faith that can hold up, that can hold you up against any problem you may face, against any heartache, against any disappointment. 
It's the kind of faith that we, that we have that, that, that strengthens us in times of sorrow, such as this past weekend as we, as we laid to rest uh, Violetta. It's a faith that, 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 that is substantial and real. It, 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 it beats with every heartbeat in our bodies. That's the gift we should covet. That's the gift we should desire. Is that, is that faith would abide and that faith would, 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 would strengthen us and, and, and prod us on. Faith is the gift of God and it is given without repentance and it does not fade away. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 we read, For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Faith is the gift of God. But it is not a, it's not just a skill or a talent to perform a work in the ministry. Faith is a gift of God that is designed to, to strengthen us so that we can live every day aware of the grace of God and, and walk in the strength of the grace of God. It is the work of God and the operation of His Spirit and is therefore performed with power in the life of His children. It is the grace by which a soul sees <coughs> and hears Jesus Christ and comes to Him and lays hold on Him, receives Him, relies on Him, and lives in Him. It is this abiding faith that produces victory in our daily life. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 we read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our... What's that next word? Listen, the world's faith doesn't give them victory, does it? The world's faith leaves them discouraged, heartbroken, and destroyed. But our faith gives us victory. Our faith overcomes the world. It is an abiding gift of God. It is, it is the grace of God given to us. Faith is imparted to you and I upon our salvation, and it abides with us. It's with us every moment of every day. It's there to strengthen us. It's there to guide us. It's there to uphold us. But sometimes we have a misconception of faith. And we kind of think of our faith kind of like the world does their arbitrary faith. And we fail to realize as God's children that God has given to you the, an equal measure of faith. You know, this. oh, I love this. God didn't give me more faith than he gave you. He didn't give the pastor more. Some people say, well, you know, the, the pastor has more faith than me. No, he doesn't. He was, listen, God measures to every man the faith that he needs. And it's not going to grow, and it's not going to diminish, because it's exactly what you need. God has given you the faith you need to live your life in victory over sin, over the flesh, over the devil. 
And it never goes away, it never diminishes, it never fails. It's given to all of us. Now, prophecy, that's going to go away. Tongues, they're going to cease. But faith abides. And it's always there, and it will be with you. Until the day you trade that faith in for sight. That's what Paul said. Now we see through a glass darkly. That glass out there is, I can see things out there, but I can't really distinguish what they are. But if I go on the other side, I know what they are. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then faith face to face. And one day, one day we'll stand in heaven and we'll, 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 we'll exchange that faith for sight. Because we'll see the Lord and he'll never go away. I've overcome disappointment, heartache, discouragement in my life, but not by my own wisdom or not by my power, rather by the abiding faith that God has given me. There have been, there have been, there have been days over the past few years where I've, alone, I've, I've, I've been brokenhearted, I've wept, I've, I've dropped to my knees and, and asked God, to give me strength and courage, and you know what? He does. He always does. That faith, that I, feel his, I feel that faith just lift me up, and I realize I can go forward. Not in my power, not by my wisdom, but by faith. So, first today, tonight, we see the abiding gift of faith. But then secondly, is the word hope. Hope. Now, again, as with faith, the world lives by an unfounded, unsubstantiated hope. When I witness to people and ask them if they're going to heaven, they say, well, I hope so. I, I hope so. You do? You hope so? This type of hope is based upon a desire, a, a wish, if you will, but it has no real expectation and no assurance. When we as God's elect children speak of hope, we're not, really, we're not really hoping at all, are we? Our hope is founded, it's anchored in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is steadfast and sure, and it's not hope at all, it's reality. In, in John chapter 14, we read, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Listen, my hope tonight is really expectation. I fully expect to awake in heaven. I don't hope to go to heaven. I, I expect to awake there. And as a matter of fact, I'm already a resident of heaven. I already have a home in heaven. Jesus stated that. He's already built my home in heaven. I expect to live in the presence of God for all eternity. I am sure of this. I am confident in this. The real difference is that unfounded and uncertain hope is doomed to fail. Paul's hope was actually expectation. You know, we're actually, 
we're actually um, inclined to this as human beings. We're actually, we're actually taught as children to hope but expect failure. You hope you get there, but you know, expect to expect to fail. I, I, I don't want to fail. I don't expect to fail. My my hope is 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 in Christ. It's in heaven, and it's not going to fail. It's not really hope. It's reality. It's expectation, and it's substantial. And it was based upon uh, Paul's Paul's hope was based upon his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me real quickly to Hebrews chapter six. So I'll go to Hebrews chapter six. And we'll begin reading at verse number 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you see what he said there? That we have a hope, an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Hope as is faith is a, is a, a byproduct of God's grace. It's a gift of God's grace. Our Confidence, our hope, is implanted in regeneration and, uh, and has God the Father and Christ the Son as its object, its ground, and its foundation upon which it is built. It is confidence and assurance of things unseen, things yet to be gained, difficult to understand, yet possible to be enjoyed. This is why Paul said concerning these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. He could say this because the hope in him was real and abiding. Our hope is abiding and, and it bolsters our faith. And with these two abiding gifts, we learn to trust God. And to lean up, and not to lean upon our flesh. In Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, Solomon wrote, "Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path." This is what gave Paul the confidence to make the bold statement he did in Second Timothy chapter one. In verse 12, where he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There is no doubt in Paul. There is no doubt in the hope that he had. An abiding hope that does not fail. An abiding hope that does not fade away. We have that abiding hope within us. At the moment we are saved, we, be, we, we are given the assurance, we are given the knowledge and the hope that we will be with the Lord one day. And that hope never fades. It never dies. In our darkest moments, in our deepest times of trouble, we draw upon that truth and that hope gives us courage. 
It gives us strength. It's what keeps us from quitting. Have you ever wanted to quit? Well, if you're honest, you'd say yes. Because every one of us, at one time or another, faced so much, so much heartache and so much hardship that we just said, you know, I just, I just want to pack it all in. I just want to give it all up. Well, what wakes us up? What draws us back in? Well, faith picks us up, slaps us around a bit. And then hope says, what are you doing? You're a child of God. you got a home in heaven. What are you worried about all of this for? I've said it before. This life is temporal. Do you understand that? Whether we, whether we succeed or fail in this life is irrelevant because we have heaven as our home. And our sights need to be there. Not here. There. Paul saved Paul said that he had confidence. He knew who he had believed. And he was persuaded that God was going to keep his promises and, and, and do all the things for him he said he would do. So we have faith. We have hope. And they, they never fade. They, we have all that we need. God's given us all the faith and all the hope we need to succeed. But then Paul saved the best for last. He stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 13, verse 13, but the greatest of these, he said, is number three, charity. Now, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we read, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Listen, men aren't going to know that you're a child of God if you speak in tongues. Men aren't going to know that you're a child of God if you have this great gift that, that nobody else has. If you can lay your hand on somebody's head and, and mumble a few words and they start doing cartwheels on, on the platform. That's, that's not going to prove that you're a child of God. But this will. What did he say? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. Love. Love. Charity. That's the greatest gift of all. And it is a gift. As with faith and hope, the world offers its own interpretation of love. But the world's love is in stark contrast to that of God. God's love is abiding. It will never fail. It will never fade. We are given a, we are given a view into the love of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the verses that are used at every wedding I've ever been to. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's, that's, we're given a little view into the true love of God. We hear these verses read in every wedding we attend, but do they really have any meaning to us? Now, the kind of love that we're talking about here is so incomprehensible to the unsaved man that it makes absolutely no sense to him. 
But I'm sorry to say that many who claim to be God's children also have no comprehension of what I'm talking about when I talk about abiding love. Turn with me, let's go to John chapter 14 real quickly. I intended this to be a brief message. I really did. But I failed. John chapter 14. And we'll begin in verse 15. If ye love me, these are the words of Jesus. If ye love me, if ye love me, keep my commandments. You know, we could just stop right now and go home. Because we've just preached everything that a man needs to hear. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. What's the theme of that passage of Scripture? If ye love me, keep my Commandments. What's the theme there? Love is based on obedience. Listen, don't tell me how much you love God tonight. Because it's too easy with the mouth to say, I love you. Show me that you love God tonight. Don't tell me you love him. Show me you love him. And we show that we love God by obeying his commandments. Not by looking for loopholes to justify our disobedience. I, I, see, I see, especially young Christians, I see them doing this all the time. Trying to find some little loophole in God's law that will allow them to do what they want to do and yet still claim that they're not disobeying God. Don't tell me you love God if you are living in unrepented sin. We miss church, we rob God, we drink, we smoke, we embrace the world, yet we claim to love God. It's gotten a little quiet in here, I'm getting worried. You know what, hey guys, try that with your wife tonight. Huh? How do you think, how do you think my wife would feel? If I never came home, if I spent all our money on, on, on my friends and other women, if I indulged myself in every fleshly desire, do you think she would believe I love her? Would you believe I loved her if I behaved that way? No. 
Yet, so many people who claim to be God's children live in disobedience and yet want everyone to believe they love God. Well, first of all, you're not fooling God. You might fool me. You might be able to put on a good enough act to fool me. And I may look at you and I may say, well, there's a person that loves God. But in your heart, you're, you're living in unrepentant sin. And, 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 but you know who you can't fool? There's two people you... Well, actually, there's only one person you can't fool, and that's God. You can even fool yourself. But you can't fool God. God knows tonight whether or not you love him. And it's real easy. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now... I show my love to my wife by my dedication to her. And I show my love to my God by my dedication to his word, to his law. And tonight, you and I show our love by that very way. We are known by our doings. In Proverbs 20.11, it says, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. You see, we may, we may say with our mouth we love God, but to everybody who knows us, we, we know you by, by the way you behave. We know you by your doings. And I see a lot of empty pews here tonight. And if, but if, if, if these, and if these pews were full and we'd sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, everybody would sing that. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. I won't be in church tonight, but I love him anyway. You know, I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I know that. I know that you're here, and I'm preaching to you. I understand that most of you here are, 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 are disciplined in those areas, but you know what? Every one of us, I don't care who we are, none of us, None of us can stand up here, could stand up tonight and say, I completely obey God in every moment of my life. I never disobey God. We can't say that. And if you try to say that, you're a liar. And I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's the truth. But we should be striving, shouldn't we? We should confess our sin to God. We should strive to live a life of obedience to God because our life is the greatest evidence of our heart and our love. And the love of God that dwells in us richly is an abiding grace. It will never fail. God's love for us will never fail. And the love that we, share, that we should share with each other should never fail. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even our own disobedience does not separate us from the love of God. God forgives us, and he cleanses us of our sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God if you are His child. Faith, hope, charity. These are 
these are the three chief and leading graces in God's people. And these abide and continue with us. We may falter in them sometimes as we exercise these gifts. But we never, if we are truly saved, we never utterly fail as to their purpose and principle in our lives. Faith, our faith may droop and hang its wings. Our hope, sometimes it may not be so lively. And our love at times might wax cold and distant. But none of them, none of them for the true child of God will ever fail. They abide. We never lose our faith. A child of God never loses, utterly loses his hope. A child of God never, never loses the love of God. Let's remember that. These are gifts each of us here tonight have. And we have them in full abundance. They are, they are gifts from God. Given to us at regeneration. Now there may be other gifts God adds. To us to, to help us. To enable us to do the work of the church. But these three gifts. Are given to us so that we may live to God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I wish, Lord, that I could have more eloquently projected these, these, these truths. But I pray that you would take what was given and apply it in our lives and help us to use it to your glory and honor. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We are so undeserving. We are so unworthy. We don't deserve anything that you, that you do for us. But you do these things because you love us. Help us, Father, to live our obedient lives unto you that we may, we may truly demonstrate our love to you. We may show you that we love you. And show those around us that the love of God lives richly in our hearts and minds. Thank you for all these things. Bless all who are here tonight, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.